This afternoon, we'll give our attention to Lord's Day 25, and if you wish to read along, you can find that on page 539 in your book of praise. This is our common confession, Lord's Day 25. Since then, faith alone makes us share in Christ and all his benefits. Where does this faith come from? From the Holy Spirit who works it in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel and strengthens it by the use of the sacraments. What are the sacraments? The sacraments are holy, visible signs and seals. They were instituted by God so that by their use he might the more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the gospel. And this is the promise that God graciously grants us, forgiveness of sins and everlasting life because of the one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross. Are both the word and and the sacraments then intended to focus our faith on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground for our salvation? Yes, indeed. The Holy Spirit teaches us in the gospel and assures us by the sacraments that our entire salvation rests on Christ's one sacrifice for us on the cross. How many sacraments has Christ instituted in the new covenant? Two, holy baptism and the Holy Supper. Dear congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Imagine for a moment that the catechism that we are reading is a transcript of a conversation between two people. One is a young believer. He's learning about Christianity for the first time. The other is a wise old man who has both sincerely believed and lived out these truths for most of his life. Time and time again, 64 times to be exact, the young man has asked a question to the older man. And every question the old man has had an answer to. Most recently, he's been explaining to the young man that unlike any other religion, Christianity is a religion of salvation by grace through faith. It's not works that save the Christian, but it's faith. And the young man's mind begins to retrace all the steps that they've taken in their conversation so far. And one question still bothers him in particular. It's all well and good to say, have faith, and and faith is what you need, he begins. Then he says, you've even, even explained to me what my faith should consist of, but I still have one big problem. And what's that, says the old man. Well, you haven't told me where to get this faith. I understand what to believe. I understand that my hope is not in my works, but it's in Christ. It's in God's promises. But where do I find this faith? How do I get it? That's the question that we face this afternoon. It's a vital question. Where do we get faith? Or perhaps for most of us, more accurate this afternoon, how do we build our faith? How do we strengthen the faith that we have? Hebrews 11 verse 1 tells us, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Our faith is in God, whom we don't see. It's in his promises, which we can find in his word. 
And yet we live in a world with things that we see every day. We see, for example, news headlines with with fear in them. We see doom and gloom prophecies about where the world is heading. And that's only the things that happen outside of us. Make no mistake, our our faith is attacked from within as well. Temptations tease us with instant gratification. Doubts delay our prayers. And so the question of where to get faith or how to strengthen our faith, you see, is an urgent one. It's one that's relevant for each one of us. And Lord's Day 25 doesn't just raise the question, it provides us with an answer. It shows us that faith is from the Holy Spirit and that the tools that the Holy Spirit uses to build this faith within us are the Word of God and the sacraments. And so we'll see as our theme this afternoon that in a world full of idols and distractions, the Word and sacraments center our lives on Christ and his crucifixion. And may the Spirit use even this sermon again to build up our faith and to focus our eyes on Christ. We see first together that faith is worked in our hearts by the word. Most of us know what faith is. A good reminder is Lord's Day 7, which says, True faith is not only a sure knowledge, by which I hold as true all that God has revealed to us in his word, but it's also a wholehearted trust, which the Holy Spirit works in me by the gospel, that God has freely granted, and not only to others, but to me also. Forgiveness of sins, eternal righteousness, and salvation. So we see that true faith includes that knowledge, it includes that trust, and then it's personal. But where do we get it? Romans 10 verse 14 speaks to our question. And there Paul says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching. The essentials of faith, knowledge, trust, and personal assurance can only grow where God's word has been heard. How do you get this faith and grow in it? By hearing the word of God. Especially when we gather as God's people by hearing it preached to us by his servants. Paul's letter to the Corinthians speaks to this truth in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 through 5. Here Paul gives us an insight as to how he came to the church at Corinth bringing God's word. How he brought brought God's word to a people who had never heard it before. In other words, how Paul preached the gospel so that faith would grow where there was no faith. Paul's clear that he didn't come to the Corinthians to try and impress them. He didn't come there to try and make them see Paul as the answer to their problems. Paul's goal was not that the Corinthians who, would hear, who came to hear him would go away and marvel at this fellow Paul that was among them, this great teacher, marveling at his powerful speech or at the clear organization of his facts or at his weighty wisdom. Paul came not to bear witness to himself, but to bear witness to what God had done in Christ for his salvation. And then further, to bear witness to the hope of salvation to all those who hear God's call. The word translated there, testimony, in verse 1, also carries the idea of mystery. You see, Paul made known the mystery of God. 
not mystery in the sense of some super secret which, which only a select few might know, but rather Paul uses the word mystery in the sense that, that no amount of human intelligence, no amount of, of digging into it and exploring could truly fathom what was going on, could truly discover what, it was, what the truth is. And so what is this mysterious truth that is beyond our wisdom? Paul tells us in verse 2 that the truth is Christ crucified. Perhaps you've, used, you've heard this verse used as a motto against theology or studying doctrine. I know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You can see why someone might appeal to that as an argument against studying theology, can't you? But that's not how Paul uses it. Paul's point is not that he's anti-intellectual. Paul's preaching was undoubtedly more than simply an information dump saying, Christ has been crucified, amen. What Paul means here is that he intended to preach the gospel in ways that, that caused the Corinthians to focus on the message, but not so much the messenger. Paul came in weakness and fear. He came with much trembling. Elsewhere, such words are used to describe how a servant might have, or the attitude a servant might have towards their master. Paul's point is that he didn't come there to serve himself, but he came there to serve God as a servant sent by God to bring God's word. And then again in verse 4, Paul emphasized that his message was not focused on the pomp and splendor of the public orators of that day. When you hear of a public speaker, what comes to your mind? Probably a preacher, maybe a politician. Maybe you think of public speaking classes. Well, public speakers in Paul's day were like the rock stars of today. If you were a great public speaker, you were a celebrity. You'd walk down the streets and people would recognize you. These public speakers would even train their bodies with weights so that they would have a more imposing physical appearance. And all of this was the typical expectation of a public speaker, someone who would blow you away with their rhetoric, someone who would impress you with their physical appearance. Their presence was powerful, their message was memorable, and their logic was compelling. But not Paul. Paul comes not with a message of power, he says, but with a message of weakness. He came so that faith would grow in the hearts of his hearers. Faith not in Paul, but in the words that he brought, in the message from God, in Christ crucified. You see, Paul relied on the Spirit's power. And therein is what our catechism wants us to understand too. And that the Word of God is powerful because it is the tool of the Holy Spirit. It's saving because it sets forth the gospel of hope. That God grants us forgiveness of sins and eternal life by grace. And because of Christ's one sacrifice accomplished on the cross. That's why in our church we emphasize the importance of coming to church to hear the word of God proclaimed. To hear the preaching of God's word. Because it's a tool that we confess the Holy Spirit uses. He uses it to plant faith in our hearts. He uses it to, to grow that faith in our hearts. We emphasize the importance of hearing the word of God preached because even if we hear it twice on Sundays, we live in a world so full of distractions that that's but a drop in the bucket 
compared to the other influences in our lives. We emphasize coming to God's house to hear his word preached because you never know when the Spirit might use God's word to further convict you or to comfort you or to finally open your eyes to your need for Christ. But God's word is not the only tool that is used by the Spirit to grow faith. The Spirit also uses the sacraments to grow and then to confirm our faith. And that's our second point, that faith is sealed in our hearts by the sacraments. Boys and girls, do you know what a sacrament is? Well, if you've studied your catechism, you might. Sacraments are visible signs and seals of an invisible grace. There's something that we can see that teaches us something about what we can't see. That's our definition, but but what does it mean? Well, we know what a sign is, don't we? You see them all the time when you're driving. As you drive into the city of Thunder Bay, where I live, you can see a sign that says, the city of Thunder Bay, population 109,000. Signs give information. The sacraments are signs that tell us of God's promises. They, They give us information about God's promises. Baptism is a sign for us that as surely as water washes away the dirt from the body, so certainly Christ's blood and his spirit wash away my soul's impurity, that is, all of my sins. That's a powerful sign, isn't it? And then the Lord's Supper is also a sign. The Lord's Supper teaches us that as surely as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me and the cup shared with me, so surely his body was offered and broken for me and his blood poured out for me on the cross. And as surely as I receive from the hand of him who serves and taste with my mouth the bread and cup of the Lord, given me as sure signs of Christ's body and blood, so surely he nourishes and refreshes my soul for eternal life with his crucified body and poured out blood. And that's a beautiful sign as well. So the sacraments are signs. They teach us about what God does for us. But they're also seals. We encounter seals in life all the time too. A good way to understand a seal is to think of a letter sealed with a wax seal. It used to be that important letters would always be sealed with a wax seal. You would take some wax and you would melt it above the the envelope or the folded letter. And then the, the wax would be given an imprint from a signet ring or from the sender's seal. And that way, when the letter arrived to whoever it was supposed to go to, they could look at that piece of paper and they would see that thin wax seal and they would know that it hadn't been broken. But they would also look and they would see the insignia on top of the wax and they would recognize this is sent from whoever sent it. It teaches you something about the fact that it has come to you untampered with, that it can be trusted, and also, who has sent it? We don't really deal much with seals on our letters anymore, but think of a, a container of ice cream. I think most of us deal with that a little more often. How do you know your ice cream is safe to eat? How do you know someone hasn't opened the ice cream container in the superstore and taken a good lick out of it? Well, the container is sealed, isn't it? Maybe it has a plastic tab on the side that you have to break off. Maybe it has a plastic seal on top. Either way, the seal tells you something. It tells you that this 
ice cream is safe to eat from the factory. And so the water of baptism and the bread and wine of the Lord's Supper come to us not only as signs, but also as seals. They teach us that this is what God has promised to us, that we can trust it, that it comes to us from God, and that it comes to us as reliable. Some see the need to change worship to add more sensory satisfaction. They want to add bright lights. They want to add bigger bands. They want to add carefully choreographed performances. Others want to add more visual aids like PowerPoints during the sermon or even video clips. And often amid all the calls for sensory satisfying worship, we forget something. We forget that our God has already given us in a real way, exactly that. He's given us a way to use all of our senses in worship. Sight, hearing, taste, touch, smell. All of that is appealed to in our sacraments. He gives us the sacraments as tools of the Spirit that the Spirit uses to help us believe in the promises of His Word, to help us trust in Him. Maybe a good way to think about the sacraments is to think of them as special teaching tools. Teaching tools that a a really loving teacher has designed especially for us because we're a little bit slow to pick up what's being said. They increase our faith. They allow us to fully experience what God is telling us. Question and answer 66 tells us that they were instituted by God so that by our use of them, he might make us understand more clearly the promise of the gospel and to seal that promise to us. How often do we think of the sacraments in that way as these beautiful signs and seals given to us by God to encourage us? Because he knows sometimes that our faith is weak, that we need more encouragement. You can also compare sacraments to a telescope. If you know people who have telescopes, they don't collect telescopes for the sake of collecting telescopes, usually. Their interest is not in the telescope per se, but in what that telescope allows them to see. In a similar way, the sacraments are not where our focus really lies. But the sacraments, like a telescope, they they help us see something else. They show us the truth of God's word. They remind us of the gospel promise that God grants us forgiveness of sins and eternal life by grace because of Christ's one sacrifice accomplished on the cross. In some traditions of Christianity, the sacraments are thought to hold power within themselves. Being baptized is sometimes seen as a guarantee that you are now saved, no matter what your lifestyle looks like. Taking the Lord's Supper is seen as as taking an extra helping of God's grace. But our catechism lays the Bible's teaching about sacraments out clearly for us to see. And that's not what it tells us they are. They're not the source of grace. But rather, like a telescope, they help us to see grace more clearly. They focus our attention on Christ. And thus the Spirit uses them to grow us in our faith may surprise you, but even the way that we set up our church, the sanctuary, helps us to see that. 
In churches where sacraments are held to be the source of grace, you'll often see that the table, table for the elements, the bread and the wine, that takes the central place in the sanctuary. But here in our church, that's not the case. You see that the table is, is front and center as a reminder. But really, the center is the pulpit. Because the central thing for us is the preaching of the word of God. Sacraments are great gifts to us from God. They're signs and seals of God's promise that the Spirit uses to strengthen our faith. But they don't themselves create that faith within us. We don't come to faith by experiencing the water of baptism. Taking the bread and wine will not suddenly give us new faith, make us believers. But we do come to faith by hearing the preaching of God's word, by hearing God's word faithfully explained to us. It is through the hearing of the good news, especially in its public preaching, that the Holy Spirit plants faith in our hearts. The sacraments he uses to grow that faith. And we see in our third point that this faith is then focused by the Spirit onto Christ. You see, Christ is always the center. It's because of the focus of preaching on Christ and Him crucified that hearing God's Word is such a powerful tool in the hands of the Spirit. It's because the sacraments show us physical reminders of what Christ has done for us, reminders that we can see, we can smell, we can taste, we can touch and hear, that they too strengthen our faith. It's because the sacraments provide assurance that as surely as we partake of them, as surely as that, that water makes our hair wet as babies or even as adults if we come to faith later in life, as surely as we smell that wine and, and taste it, as surely as we feel our, our mouth chew on the bread, we know that Christ is for us, that Christ's promises are for us. And that strengthens our faith, doesn't it? You see, the source of our faith is not a certain standard of preaching quality. It's not a certain regularity in partaking of the Lord's Supper or, or seeing a baptism happen. But it is Jesus Christ which both of these point us to. The Bible makes clear that the means, that is, the tools the Holy Spirit uses to grow us in our faith in Christ are the Word and the Sacrament. But the word and the sacrament are not some mystically powered things on their own. They're given this power by the Spirit. And that's why in our order of worship, before the pastor preaches a sermon, what happens? We pray. We pray that the Holy Spirit would bless the reading and preaching of the word. Because it's not whether the pastor has done enough studying this week or, or whether he can make the point in a way that clicks in our minds or even whether we have enough energy to focus. But ultimately, the power lies in the Holy Spirit. Or that's why when we baptize someone, we do so with prayer. That's why when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we pray as well. Because we're asking God, we're asking the Spirit to use these means to grow this faith in us. And the Spirit does. He uses these means to reveal to us the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, in the end, it, it all focuses on Jesus. 
Jesus is the foundation of our faith. So when we read the Bible and we see how all of God's word finds its focus into the coming of Christ, and then from the New Testament on as it points us ahead to the return of our King, we see him as a substitutionary sacrifice. We see him as a glorious, triumphant king returning. It's in that message that we find hope. It's when we hear God's word and the preaching with the promise that Christ died for you, not just for the fellow sitting next to you on the pew. It's when we hear the call that we must find rest in him, that the Spirit takes these words and begins to grow this faith in our hearts. Our faith also grows when we see our sin, when we're confronted by the punishment that we deserve from a holy God as rebels against him, when we realize that we come to God with with nothing in our hands to bring, with nothing to offer. And yet, when we hear that, that call from Christ to come, because he has made a way for us, You see, then our faith finds its focus. Our faith is not in the strength of our believing, that somehow we we have a strong faith because we have a strong personality. It's not in some mystical experience that because this happened on, on a certain date, I now know that I'm a Christian. Or in some mystical expectation of the sacraments. Because I partake of the Lord's Supper, I know that I'm saved. But our faith focuses on the one who knows all of our unworthiness. The one who saw the sad sinners that we are and yet said, I will come and take your place. And now calls us to come and receive his rest. You see the glory of the hope that we have. You see the firm foundation that our faith has in Jesus Christ. Do you see the the wonder, the mystery of the gospel, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We have one who fully knows us, from whom we can hide nothing, and yet he is also the one who loves us and calls us to come to him. He saves us and he makes us share in his eternal salvation. And that's where our faith rests. And that's the message that the Spirit uses to give us hope for the future. And that's the message that the sacraments confirm to us and assure to us and seal to us. And so, dear people of God, as we hear God's word preached, may we too hear of Christ and of him crucified for us. May we catch a glimpse of the love of a God for sinners like us. And as we partake in the sacraments, may the Spirit use them mightily to show us Christ. And may each one of us here find rest in him. Amen.